What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the second episode of three that you guys are getting. As always, I'm your host, Justin Russo. I am Sparbod. Sports Illustrated Bleacher Report bod. Okay, that was interesting. Uh, we're once again joined by Forbes Sports Shane Young. Uh, that was a tongue twister, actually. Shane, welcome to episode two. Shane, how you doing? You still good? I am. I am great. I am here to stay. If you notice that Shane sounds a little different, it's because he fixed his microphone issue from the first episode, and Hell I wanted yeah. to point it out because he was probably feeling a little self conscious about it. Yeah, especially since Farbot said I sounded like crap. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I said you sound as bad as you look. <laughs> All right, oh, then. No. yeah. It's a great <laughs> episode, folks. On this episode, we're going to be uh, reviewing the Clippers' first half of the season, giving a, a couple grades out, and basically taking the overall pulse of the team through the first uh, 38 games of the season for them. Um, you know, they're 24 and 14. They have a really high-level offensive team. Their defense is not that great. Um, we can get into the rankings in a second, but as far as the overall aesthetic for the team in the first half of the season, Farbod, is this more or less what you expected of them? Are there, is there areas where you're just kind of like, well, that's not as good as I thought or, or anything like that. I mean, when this, when the season started, they were playing better than I expected. I thought they were going to have growing pains at the start. Then they started playing worse as it progressed. So then I was kind of like shocked to be honest, because I thought they were the games that they won with, without Kawhi and PG in that beginning stretch, I thought they were going to lose. So then it set up a precedent for me to think that they were going to win the games that they lost without Kawhi or PG to close the seat, to close the first half. So based on that, it just feels like 24 and 14 is kind of average to me. Uh, if they had, if they hadn't gone on that losing skid, I would have said better than expected. Uh, but 24 and 14 is like what I would have expected. Are you kind of along the same line, Shane? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think you kind of have to split it up here in terms of the aesthetic and, and the overall performance. Like you said, the overall overall performance would suggest that it's not as good as we thought coming into the season, at least for me. at least I thought this team was going to be high powered, number one in the West at the end. Now, they, they might still get there. I don't think they will. I think Utah is going to be there at the end. But, you know, I, I kind of expected more dominance, I guess you could say. But you know, aesthetically, looking at how they play, I think it's better than I expected. And that's kind of a weird dichotomy to be better on the court visually and, and how you're playing, how you're passing the ball, how you're trusting everybody, how you're getting along with everybody. But then the record doesn't really match it. Uh, so I think that was important. To, to look at as well. So, you know, I would say better than expected from that same point. And I think, I think Joseph Rye Ward on his podcast, the clip set pod 
throw out a good point here that is it's a little weird how the how you would think coming into the season with a you know with some roster turn, turnover a new coach new coaching staff you would think that they would start shaky and it would get better but the order has been reversed right like it's been they looked dominant you know for the first i guess month plus they had a plus 8 net rating or higher it was you know one of the best teams in the league uh, probably the best team in the league if you just looked at things from an offensive standpoint, and then things kind of slipped, and and there have been question marks, uh, you know, there have been question marks in the clutch situations since those moments. So it's like you know things have just been in reverse order, but that still stabilizes into being one pretty good damn team. Yeah, it's it's honestly insane. You know, like they start off six and four, and you're kind of like, okay, like that's you know, it is what it is. We kind of expected this, and then they just rattle off like a 10 and one stretch after that with their only loss being at Atlanta without Kawhi PG and Patrick Beverly. Um, you know, then they, they lose by four at Brooklyn, you know, they lose by four versus Boston. Uh, they lose by three against Sacramento. Like they're, they're having these close losses, um, and things like that. And then, you know, they get to 13 games over 500, uh, which they even were after the second Memphis game. You know, I think people forget, like, yes, they lost the first Memphis game and they they were kind of going loss, win, loss, win for a little while there. But they were still 13 games over 500. They were looking great. And then they lose three in a row. So that really just sends you right into the crapper, basically going into the all-star break. And then you're kind of wondering, like, what the hell went wrong? And, you know, as we talked about in the previous podcast, like, you know, they, there was injuries in that five-game stretch without superstars. If you're asking me... And I guess I shouldn't say if you're asking me, I asked the question. So that was weird to phrase it like that. Uh, What like what's been better than I thought what's been worse. The offense has actually been better than what I thought it would be like the offense when everyone's healthy is like this well-oiled clicking machine of ball movement and driving and attacking closeouts and generating these open threes. And then you look at the defense and the defense has just been worse than I expected. There are times when they look like an absolute monster defensively. But those times are kind of few and far between here and there. Um, They don't turn it on when they probably should. It's a thing where you wonder if like, can you really flip the switch? Is that how this is going to work? And I'm not sure it will. Um, But 24 and 14 with like 13 or 14 different starting lineups, you know, they're the third best offense in the league. They're the they're fifteenth in defense, so they're basically the middle of the pack. Um, it could be a lot worse. It really could with all the people who've been in and out of games. I think at the end of the day, we have to recognize they're still fifth in net rating, and they look good. There are a lot of nights where they look like the best team in the NBA, and there are also several nights where they look like they just don't want to be there. And I can actually relate to that. Yeah, in the beginning, in, in the beginning, it's certainly until once they got to that Nets game, that first Nets game, that definitely felt like the best team in the league at that point, right? Like they had the best record in the NBA. They felt like the best team. They were healthy, and that's why they felt like the best team. Then after that Nets game, it was kind of like, okay, so it seems like the Nets might be the best team in the NBA, but the Clippers are still neck and neck with them. They just, the margin for error is really, really, really slim. 
and they didn't mess around. They never lost to they never lost to like the inferior teams like they did last season. Because last season, it felt like they beat every top team and just kept losing to like the Washington Wizards, Orlando Magic, Chicago Bulls, New Orleans Pelicans. Like every bad team there was, it felt like they just kept losing to. So when they started off so strong, you started feeling really good because you're like, okay, they're not they're making the effort to fix what happened last year. They're not losing these bad teams. So that's why, you know, that closing stretch of the season leaves such a bad taste in your mouth because they start losing to the Grizzlies, the Wizards, all these teams that you're like, I thought we were past this. And if we were going to lose, it's only going to be to a great team. Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting. So last season, the Clippers were 29 and 11 against teams that were under 500, which isn't bad. That's actually really good. Um but it was also, I believe, like fifth fifth or sixth in the NBA in terms of like that win-loss against uh, – actually, it was lower than that now that I'm looking at it. Oh, my Lord. Um, so, you know, 29 and 11 against sub-500 teams. This year, they're 14 and 3. They're beating the teams that they need to beat. They're 10 and 11 against teams above 500 or 500 and above, which is a little bit of a wonky stat. For instance, this which is why it's wonky. all in the East, to be honest. <laughs> well, this is why it's a little bit wonky. Miami's 18 and 18, so that counts in that category. But Memphis is 16 and 16, so that also counts in that category as well. Um, so you're, you're like we like for instance, the Knicks are 19 and 18, but a bad week in the East takes them down a peg or two. Same thing with Boston at 19 and 17. So when you look at these things, they're more than more often than not, they're doing the job that they need to do. So I think there needs to be some slack given, especially with like injuries and things of that nature. And the other thing is they have not had a game and they, they were one of three teams in the first half of the season. I believe the Nets and the Lakers were the only other two teams that did not have a game that was postponed due to COVID. So they didn't get as big of a break as some of these other teams did. Now they got the break because of unforeseen uh, or not, I guess not unforeseen, but unfortunate circumstances but, you know, they play 38 games in 73 days. That's taxing on anybody. They look like they were tired as we got to the All-Star break. Maybe that's why they dropped four or five. I don't know. But you look at all these factors, and we can kind of understand why they're 24 and 14. You know, the Lakers are a half game above them uh, for the third seed at 24 and 13. So they're right there with the defending champions. And, yes, the Lakers have had their own injury issues. But that's also the point I'm making is the Clippers are not alone in their struggles at times with injuries or with certain other teams. So I do think there should be a little bit of like, okay, they didn't win every game we expected them to, but everything's okay. Yeah. And that's where I feel, or that's where I land on, on the sentiment here that the Clippers just, they, I I would like for them to have, one month, just a four-week stretch of uninterrupted play with, you know, in terms of injuries. Justin Farbaugh, can you can you think of one month stretch they've had since acquiring Kawhi and PG? Because I know it wasn't from opening night till November because PG wasn't playing. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't from like you know November to December. It, it might have been there. I think you know there were a couple of ins and outs. I think PG missed, and I'm talking about last season, by the way. Here, I think uh, PG missed a few games. You know, just from uh, injury management, and then obviously Kawhi missing back to backs last year. And then you have January of 2020, PG's hamstring issues. 
February, they don't even have, you know, they're in trying to integrate Marcus Morris. Um, March comes, the, the shutdown hits. They, they do go on a seven and one stretch right there before COVID hits. So that might be the, the longest time they've had together as a unit that they can, that we can really see what they can do defensively, what they, what, what they can do uh, with their chemistry and everything like that and, and how it all meshes together. And then this season, it, you know, you go from December 22nd opening night to, uh, you know, mid January without Marcus Morris. Now I know he's not a, technically a starter anymore, but still he's, he's an integral part of their team and, and, part of their closing lineups at times. So I I just would like to see one month stretch, four weeks, five weeks of just, just seeing what this team is capable of doing and stringing together a run. You know how some mornings you wake up and you just feel ready to, I don't know, pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep. No judgment, of course. I do it too all the time. But let's make having the most comfortable sheets in the world the reason why. Don't love your sheets? Brooklinen has you covered. So, Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that did not cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000, yes, 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They are so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. A full year's worth of a guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code CLIPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E. En.com and enter promo code CLIPS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code CLIPS at checkout. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Probably what they get uh, Kawhi and PG back February 19th against Utah, right? Mm-hmm. And they have them in that lineup through the Milwaukee game. And they basically go win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Um, but, but that brings you to the point, like six games, like we're yeah. talking, like they, they get what a week and a half, you know, of, of everyone being here. You mentioned you want to see a month. I, I, I want to see two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Like just give me two weeks. I'll be fine with two weeks at this point. You know, I mean, on the player level, though, is there like someone you were just like, all right, this guy did not live up to my expectations or was there and or was there someone you're like, this guy just blew away my expectations? I think I know who the latter is going to be. So we'll start with the former, which is, is there someone who like outright was like, this guy is not what I thought he could be? Maybe Ibaka. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. He has his moments where he looks good and then he has other moments where it's like, he looks scared to play basketball. Um, yeah, before I get into Ibaka, Shane, do you have someone different or are you also going to go with Ibaka? 
Well, the reason I said yeah is because I okay from looking at a roster standpoint, I I just don't see many players here that I could that I could definitively say they haven't lived up to my expectations. I think Serge would be the only one that I could kind of lean to in that in that regard. He started off the season just kind of incredible. I mean, the the shooting, the spacing, the knowledge, the IQ, the leadership, like everything you wanted bottled up into one player that they did not have last year. They had this year. And it seems like he could just do more or he or he could make better plays here and there. I know he's been really good as a short row passer, but it's like, you know, pa- passing up mid-range shots, passing up three-pointers. I think Serge would be the only one I can kind of look at and say, like, he hasn't been what I thought. It's kind of crazy. Like, I get annoyed with some of the stuff he does. And then I look at us, like, for instance, like this, like he's shooting uh, 69% inside of five feet. The guy is automatic in the restricted area, 72 and a half percent. I hate all those damn little short little bunny hooks he tries. It, they make me want to scream. I hated every single post up they tried with him against Brooklyn. I wanted to gouge my eyes out. And for the love of God, if there's something I'm going to openly grab with Serge Ibaka about personally, rather than just like team oriented, can you just take the three if you're open? Like he'll get the ball. The defender will be 10 feet away. Is like, I'm just going to rotate. Like sometimes just take the shot, man. Like that's probably the best shot we're going to get. Like, just take it. It's okay. Too, too bad. You won't get to ask him for another three months. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's there. That's art form right there. Um, <laughs> I just, he, it's funny. Cause like, I know there's going to be some fans who are like, well, I've been dis- disappointed with Luke Kennard and you know, stuff like that. It's like, first well, off, Luke Kennard, about Luke Kennard, cause he plays so little. I kind of forgot. First, oh, first was, off, me too. <laughs> first off, I will be honest with people. I think Luke Kennard has been absolutely fine. I think people have just latched onto him as like not maybe not the scapegoat, but the dead horse that they need to beat because for whatever reason. I think Luke Kennard has been absolutely fine. I've even think at times he's been quite good for them. Um, I guess if I have a gripe to pick, it's not even with him. It's like. I never understood how he lost his spot in the rotation. Uh, Like, because if you go back to it, so the Miami game in LA that the Clippers win without Kawhi and PG, Luke Kennard has what I think is his best game of the season. Maybe not scoring wise, but doing everything. He was incredible. He's out the next game with knee soreness and then is, comes back and is completely out of the rotation for Terrence Mann, which to be fair, Terrence Mann has been good and quite good at times, but I still think Luke Kennard has been better. And it just astounded me that like Terrence Mann took that spot and I couldn't figure it out. And the only thing I really settled on was two things. Number one, maybe Luke Kennard, maybe his knee wasn't as good as they were trying to tell us it was. And number two, maybe this is just Ty trying things out for like 10 games and then he'll just kind of shuffle everything a different way and then we'll focus on whatever the new way is and then forget what just happened. But I think Luke's been fine is my overarching thing. Yeah, Yeah, he's on the game where you could really like get on him where you're like the same way you get on Serge was that first Boston game where he uh, did the three-point foul. That was the only game where it was like you could really shake your fist at him. Other than that, he doesn't give you, he hasn't got enough chances to shake your fist at him. 
Yeah. Yeah. When Luke's on the floor, I I have not got the sense that he's underperforming his value. To me, I I know people are going to look at the the contract, which, by the way, has not kicked in yet. So he's not getting paid that. Um, And it's really only three years. Exactly. So, like, he's shooting incredibly well from all areas. And it's like, I'm not, you know, his defense is still kind of bad, but there are flashes of, of, good IQ on that end, I will say. Uh, but, you know, when he's on the floor, I'm not like looking at him and saying, man, you're massively underperforming. That Ty Lu, I guess, is thinking that, but but not me. The other interesting thing here is a uh, quick shout out to Reggie Jackson, who's been really good this year. I want to just give Reggie Jackson a shout out. Reggie's been great. And a lot of Clipper fans who poo-pooed him being back seem to be loving Reggie Jackson right about now. So that's quite funny. But if we're looking at the player who's exceeded expectations, obviously the guy is Nicholas Batum. Am I wrong? To me, it's either. Uh, well, he's kind of like settled down a bit in the second half, but he's still exceeded expectations. It's like it's either him or Terrence Mann to me because Terrence Mann is hitting some stuff that I, like I did not know was in his game at all. Terrence Mann's Batum hitting corner threes. What, like, I forgot he could do. Or not, I forgot, but it's like he's doing what he used to be able to do in Portland. But Terrence is just playing with a level of confidence like I didn't even know he had at all. Yeah. Um, the the downside that I've seen from Batum lately is kind of similar to what I've seen from Ibaka, which is on the perimeter. I just I cannot I can't trust them defensively. Um, Ibaka's worse, obviously, on the perimeter than Batum, but like Batum's length makes up for some of it, but he just doesn't have the lateral foot speed anymore. So he like guys and obviously we saw this against Brooklyn, but guys will hunt that matchup because that's like to them the easier of the matchups. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of where, you know, it's a separate discussion than what we're talking about here. But it, it, it's kind of something I would like to see. I, I kind of want to see Marcus Morris play more. And I know I know like Morris's foot speed hasn't been. He's also it looked like he lost a bit of a step, you know, early in the season. He kind of looked slow. I think he, I think he's kind of getting it back a little bit. But I, I kind of would just like to see Marcus Morris play more with the starters, and that's just that's just me because I think when the, when he switches, which is Tyler's you know favorite word to use, like you know switching one through five. When when he switches, it's like I, I trust that more than Batum. Would you agree? Yeah. So it's funny. Like I feel like Marcus gets lower in a stance when he mm-hmm. switches. So like Batum tries to use his length more. Marcus is like, I'm just going to body you and you're not going to get past me. And it, and it works some of the, not all the time, but it works some of the time, you know? So I, I don't really disagree with you. I, I think the interesting thing with the Clippers is that as at some point, do they try like PG Kawhi Batum Morris Abaka? I don't know if they do that. I, I just think that's um, something that at least is there for them to try. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. Um, is that, I don't even know if that's a lineup you guys would like to see. I mean, it's there, there's many, I feel like there's many lineups that they could trot out in those closing minutes. And it's just going to have to be a, it's going to have to be trial by error or trial and error right now for Ty Lue because obviously what, what has, what he's been using hasn't been working in terms of getting results on the court. So I think he's just going to continue to try different things. And, and, you know, I kind of said on a podcast earlier, it's like, I think Zubat should, should play more in, in the final stretches. I think Serge should play a little bit less. And I think if you're going to go small, like I think, I just think Marcus Morris 
is someone I would trust out there at all times, um, even with the the lower speed he has. But but yeah, you know, back to your first question, I guess like the the player that has exceeded expectations. I, I'm just gonna go with Terrence Mann. I know it seems like a cop out because he has played. It, it's like recency bias. He's played really well lately, but not for the whole year. Uh, but for me, I think that's what matters. He he has stayed ready and he has been able to. Uh, compete at a high level and I think it's I think it's also important to note like when I watch him defensively he, he, I feel like he's taken a lot of pages out of Patrick Beverly's book right because like he he's getting around screens and really pressuring guards like like it's nobody's business and I they they lack that I think they lack someone that's going to be feisty like that if it's not Patrick Beverly so if Pat Bev's not in the game Terrence has to be that guy and he's he's done it pretty well the only other guy besides Pat who will do that is, uh, on a consistent basis is probably PG. Mm-hmm. And that's basically it. So that, that, that's why it's fine that Terrence plays. It's just an interesting rotation where, like, Ty has to find minutes for all these guys, and that's that's a problem. Um, but as we come to it, I mean, you know, like I said, they're third in offense and offensive rating, 15th in defense. They're tw- At the end of the day, if you just look at it, they're 24 and 14, and they're tied with Miami and Detroit for having played the seventh toughest schedule in the league. So... 24 and 14, seventh toughest schedule in the league. Farbod, what would you grade their first half as? Maybe like a B plus. B plus. Okay. You don't feel it's been better or worse? You just like I just wanted to understand the clarification B, on the B plus. B to B plus. All right. I what would have anyone, pushed I don't think anyone expected them to be the fourth seed. Uh like I didn't think they'd be the first seed, but I didn't expect them to be the fourth seed. I mean, yeah, I mean, I give like the Jazz is who I would give like an an A plus two, and the Suns are who I would give like an A minus two or an okay. A. Right, that's fair. Uh, Shane, what would you grade it? Are you above a B plus? Add a B plus? Below? Very rarely do I ever go lower than Farbod in terms of optimism. Very rarely here. Um, I'm going to go B flat, just as a flat B. I think. I, I, I kind of think it would be a lot higher. I think, uh, you know, Farbod mentioned that Brooklyn Brooklyn game on February 2nd is like a line of demarcation. After that, things kind of started to slip a little bit. You know, if you shut the season off after that, after that Knicks win in the garden, um, it would be an A++ and that would be like perfect everything. You know, they're going to win the championship, right? <laughs> but it's everything after that. I think I think they've earned themselves a B just because of the de- defensive issues that we're seeing. You know, what's funny is I was actually it was crazy to me that Farba was gave it a higher grade than what I was going to give out. I was going to say B as well. Um, I think some of the issues I've seen and most of this is just defensive related. I, I think they know that they're good and I think they know that they're really good. And I think because they know that they don't want to give the effort all the time defensively, which will bite you. Like, you know, you, you got to dig in on nights even when you don't. Um and it's going to be interesting to see how they combat that malaise at times. But for the first half of the season, their defense wasn't as good as it should have been. And it bothered me because their offense was absolutely sensational. And you should win more of those games than they did with your offense being that good injuries or no injuries, you know? So it, it is just interesting. Um, there were a couple, you know, they, they lost the game at Golden State when they had a big lead towards the end of the third quarter. They lost the game at Washington when they had a big lead in the second quarter. You know, you know that does happen throughout a season, but you don't want to see those. 
Um, but overall, I'm going to give them a B. I think they could have been a lot better. Hell, I think they could have been worse, to be honest. Like, if you really think about it, those two wins against Miami and the win against Cleveland without PG and Kawhi and Pat, save them. Because then, because then we're talking 21 and 17, and we're a little bit scared. Yeah, and that a game that comes back to me is that Chicago game, that one o'clock tip off, right? Um, that or I guess it was one o'clock here. Yeah. I'm not sure what time it was, it was for you it was guys, but what like twelve thirty or something? It, yeah, that game, like they probably shouldn't have won that game, and they still did. So they, they, they have, won that game. They won that game because Chicago turned the ball over like 29 times. The Clippers didn't get stops. They yeah. weren't make. They weren't forcing misses. You know, the, it's the, just the only miss they forced was that a uh, random Levine airball three, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, when he missed that shot, by the way, I just I actually audibly said out loud, "Oh, they're actually going to win!" Like, because because he was making everything. Yeah, you know, so they, they mean, have they have squeaked by a couple times, and you know, I, you know, I guess this is worth worth pointing out too. Like the game that I'm going to point to. Um, as as a game that they can revert to, and, and you know, I'm not going to say Ty Lue hasn't done this because he he watches a hell of a lot more film than I do. But <laughs> I, I think I think looking at the Suns game, the, the the Suns game on January 3rd, the way they closed that one out, the way they attacked mismatches, the way they got PG into the paint, which drew help defenders, which opened up Nick Batum in the corner a couple times. That is the game that everyone needs to look at if they're questioning their clutch stuff, right? And and that's very early in the season. It, you know, guys have played, you know, obviously Batum has played a little bit worse since then. Ibaka hit a few threes in that game. He's not doing that so much these days. Um, but I think I think if they look back at that game, uh, I think people can stop hitting the panic button because it, it's there. The Suns are a good half-court defense. They're a good defense in general, and they were still – generating buckets after buckets on that team. So I think the evidence is there is they just need to tap into it a little bit. And I would also say they did it in the, in the Utah win as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, it it is what it is. So um, first half Farbod, you gave them a B plus Shane and I gave them a B Uh, people. We will be back tomorrow to wrap up with what we're doing as a second half preview for the Clippers final. I don't even can't do math right now. What? 34 games if 34 plus 30. Yeah, there we go. Math. It's easy. Uh, So we'll see you guys tomorrow. Everybody take it easy and stay safe. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50 plus, for the LGBTQ plus community. 
a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast.